Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive. Blocked by Jackson. Bain. Step back three. Bingo! It's the core four. I am Matthew Gill, joined as always by Xavier and Dave. Today, guys, we're going to be talking all things trade deadline, refereeing, and do our top four NBA title contenders ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. But we start here. We're nearing the all-star break. Ja not named an all-star starter. And barring a fill-in spot, it doesn't appear that Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson Jr. are going to make it. Dave, in your opinion, Is this an indication that people are disrespecting or overlooking the number two seed in the West, Memphis Grizzlies? Or could this be that people outside of Memphis are actually tired of the noise, annoyed by all the talking that goes on within this young team, and that's why they haven't gotten as many votes? I'm not sure, actually, Matt, that it's either of those. I think it's an indication that there's just a lot of great talent throughout the NBA, a lot of great players in the East, a lot of great players in the West. And, and then let's be honest, you know, Jaron missed a bunch of games and, and Desmond Baines missed a bunch of games. I think that's hurt the overall candidacy. I think you can make a case for both of them and, and maybe they'll, they'll get there, like you said, through the injuries. But I think it's more just that the league is loaded with talent. And uh, I, I don't think it, I don't think it is because of uh, people are tired of the Grizzlies. Yeah, I hope not. It seems a little early for that. Uh, it's kind of you think about the NFL, people getting tired of like Joe Burrow's cockiness in the same way. And, um, you know, he may be getting on people's nerves as well. But sticking with the All-Star game, not all bad news. Xavier, your boy, Kenny Lofton, going to be in the Rising Stars game. How's that feel? Yeah, man, it's a big, big accomplishment for him. Uh, of course, he's down there killing it in the G League scene. I've been keeping up with him a lot. And for him to, to be recognized as one of those G League guys that stepped up, that's been playing well, that's, that's huge. Uh, I, I feel like he's still got a lot of growth beside him. And hopefully the Grizzlies can continue working with him. And, and hopefully he can be in the NBA and make, be a contribution guy at some point in his career. Yeah, I'm super excited for that. I think it's a really good addition to the All-Star game. It may be the most competitive basketball that we see that weekend, honestly. Uh, You know, we got a a really good list of rookies and sophomores and then those G League guys as well. And it's going to be four teams, three games, kind of mini tournament style. So I'm looking forward to that. It's a good addition to the All-Star game. I'll go back to what I asked Dave Xavier. What do you kind of make of Jaron and Bain not making it? for the all-star game and John not being an all-star starter. I look at Steph and Luca, obviously uh, very deserving, but Grizzlies are the number two team in the West. I mean, I got to agree with Dave. Like the league is just very talented. And you always, if you look around the league, is one superstar on that team. And then like that have their all-stars beside them. It's a lot of teams now that have that one superstar and it's only 12 spots for all-star team. I don't think we'll ever see something like that. And back in 2015 of, you know, the Atlanta Hawks having their whole starting lineup being an all-star and being in the all-star game, it's just not possible anymore. You have to be putting up those insane numbers beside the superstar to make the all-star team, like somebody as Jalen Brown. But, I mean, we do know that Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson are deserving all-stars. It's just nowadays it's really hard to push that that category for those guys to be in that game due to the fact it's just hyperinflation of numbers. I I mean, Damian Lillard is averaging 30 points. Statistically his best year, and he's not even an all-star starter. And so it's, and then even that, you, you question, should he even be an (laughs) all-star? 
because there's so many other guys that's been playing well. It's, it's, it's really a tribute to how great the league has gotten with talent. Yeah, super deep, talented league. And you look at the Western Conference in particular, I think the records being so, like, wide open, there's no really – um, you know, there, there's not this huge hierarchy. Obviously, the Grizzlies and, and, and Denver have separated themselves, but there's so many teams in the middle that you can't really make the argument of the records when you're trying to differentiate between guys like Dame um, and some other guys like Darren Fox. It's really hard because so many records are stacked right on top of each other, and there's been so many guys that have had great seasons thus far. Uh, but, yeah, looking forward to the All-Star game. As I said, really looking forward to that Rising Star Challenge as well. And, you know, Ja kind of got froze out last year in the All-Star game. He didn't really get the opportunity to show out as much as I think a lot of people were expecting. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he looks like in his second All-Star appearance as well. <sighs> Climbing corner, Xavier, a couple of weeks ago, you had asked for more trades. There wasn't enough movement for you so far in this season. Do you expect this trade deadline to be a quiet one or one where we see a lot of moves being made? Hopefully it'd be a lot of moves. It's been a lot of talk, no action, though. Still a lot of talk, no action. Um, but it seemed like things are starting to intensify. Obviously, with the Grizzlies standpoint, we was on that five-game losing streak. And I think that really opened eyes to the front office regarding, okay, should we go ahead and make a move or should we go ahead and still try to continue and develop young talent? Um, it's really off to, I mean, it's at the end of the day, us as fans, we was really in distraught about that five game losing streak. A lot of fans on Twitter was talking about, we need to make a trade immediately. But I mean, at the end of the day, these teams go through ups and downs, stretches of periods. Minnesota, I mean, not Minnesota, Milwaukee in 20, uh, 2021, when they won the championship, they had a five game losing streak. The Warriors had a five game losing streak last year. Were moves made for those teams when they won the championship? It was during the offseason, but not in, in the middle of the season. Now, it's not to say that Memphis is still capable of winning the championship without any moves, but it showed a lot of weakness. A lot of weaknesses was, was broadcast to the world during that five-game stretch. How poor our free-throw shooting is, our late-game execution has been poor, and you look at what everybody's been talking about is that OG and an OB trade. He won the championship back in 2019 with the Toronto Raptors. He's a solid 3 and D guy. And, I mean, he has experience. So, I mean, and he's still young, too. He's only 25 years old. So he's not somebody that's just drastically old. Now, everybody is such in, in – uh, we, we love our Grizzlies, right? <laughs> like, as fans, we love our Grizzlies. We don't want to let them go. Everybody feels that Zaire should not be a part of this trade. Zaire has, still has so much room to grow. It's Toronto want to get, wants three first-round picks. Of course, we have that. Between that and then Green's expired contract or Zaire Williams or even Dylan Brooks, if we want to make that, tr that swing trade, we have the opportunity to do that, and that will put us in a big category. But I want to eliminate the OG Ananobi trade. I want to talk about a different guy, and that guy being Bones Highland. Bones Highland, right now, he's uh, a, the backup point guard off the bench, averaging 12 points a game and shooting 38% behind the three-point line. I feel like the Grizzlies should go after him. Last night against the, the, the game against the Pelicans versus Nuggets, Chris Haynes was basically stating that 
the Nuggets are sitting him now because they expect him to be Trey. He wants a bigger role. Bones Highland is a great, phenomenal guy that's off the bench that can be electric off the bench, giving you a smooth 15 points. He's a great three-point shooter. I mean, I've never – he got confidence. I remember watching him last year, and I'm like, yo, he's shooting it for Curry range. And all they're asking for is a first-round pick. Now, of course, with us, we have all of our roster spots taken, so we would have to probably throw in another guy, maybe one of the rookies, LaRavia, or even uh, somebody like that, uh, somebody like Tillman. But I sort of think now that it is going to a trade is going to happen now. I really feel like that the front office saw during that five game losing stretch that maybe our weaknesses was exposed, maybe that we really need to go ahead and make this push for a trade because. The window is just still wide open. Yeah, I agree. And Bones Highland is a guy that I love. I watched a ton of him last season. Um, a great story, a kid out of ECU. And he's just – he's a killer. And he has um, – he plays with a, a flash that is reminiscent, um, a little bit of John Moran, his ability uh, to handle the basketball. And as you said, pull up from deep as well. He's a bit of a showman as well. So he would fit in well with this Memphis roster. Do you think he is a guy that can fit uh, alongside Tyus Jones? Do you think that that's a viable – um, two-man pairing coming off the bench, do you think that they could uh, coexist together? I, I, I obviously think so. It's not like Bones Highland plays at a very fast pace, so that fits Tyus right there. And as well, you when Tyus is able to penetrate and break the defense, Bones Highland, like I said, he's shooting the clip, shooting behind the three-point line at 38%. That's a three-point shooter right there. You got all the freedom reign to shoot the ball during the second unit. Truth be told, and that's what Bones Highland is known for. He wants to get shots up. So I feel like that's a great strategy to keep him on the second unit next to Tyus Jones. Or as well, you know, with John Morant during the stretch of when we don't have guys that's capable of making threes, you can put Bones Highland out there and let John penetrate, break the defense, and kick it out to Bones for a three. Yeah, I think Bones is a great player. Uh, I would love to see him. I worry about a little bit the the defensive, um, you know, drop-off if you were to pair him with Tyus. But uh, OG Ananobi, as you said, is the guy that everybody in Memphis is talking about right now. He is kind of the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Dave, has the price, though, for OG Ananobi gotten out of whack? There seems to be two schools of thought uh, on Twitter. Either three picks is too much or is exactly right because that's the going rate right now? Where do you kind of stand on that? I don't know that it's too much. I, I think when I was making my notes for the show today, I think OG is kind of like the best version of Zaire Williams, kind of who we want Zaire Williams to be. I think he's young, 25, as you mentioned, Xavier. He signed through 24-25 at a reasonable deal. His splits are good. His numbers are good. I think he'd be a fantastic fit on the team. You know, it's interesting when you talk about Bones, who's got some sizzle to him, but – I heard that comment last night, Xavier, too, and I was thinking, you want out of Denver? I mean, you're first in the West, and maybe you're not playing as much, but you get to learn from Joker, and, you know, at least I would be happy to be on that team right now as a young man. I mean, does he want to play 35 minutes for the Hornets in meaningless basketball? You know, you're, you're getting some really good experience playing with an all-time great player in Denver and a team that has a chance to make some noise. I, I didn't like that, and I, I'm not sure – that that's the guy that I would target. I've always told you, I think DeMar DeRozan would be a great fit, uh, but he is 33 and maybe that price would be way too high in terms of capital. The thing guys is we don't have to make a trade, but you have to ask yourself, what is the window for this team? 
if if the front office thinks that they should compete for a championship now and in the next couple of years because of the the star that we have with John Morant, then I think we have to make some moves around the the, the edges, and I think we got to also maybe take a big swing. Listen, if you look at the matter, the statistics that matter in the playoffs, Memphis ranks 20th in field goal percentage, 16th in offensive efficiency, 30th in free throw shooting, and 23rd in three-point shooting. That's not going to get it done for four rounds in the playoffs. They're an electric team in the open four, but we know it slows down. So I think we're going to see some other teams improve. Uh, I thought the Rui trade was good for the Lakers. I don't think that they're done. I think other teams are going to improve. And since we have the assets, the you know the, the finances and, and the, the chips that we could push in here, I, I do think it's a year to go ahead and take a big swing. I agree with you. The thing I go back to a couple, um, you know, this was a while ago, but I, I went through the whole thing that you need a wing who is uh, a defensive stopper and can help you on the offensive end. Uh, to win a title. We've seen it the last couple of years. Chris Middleton with Milwaukee, Andrew Wiggins last year. I will keep saying he is the most underrated, um, and and we will forget at some point that how big of a factor he was in the Warriors winning a title last year. And I look at OG now at 25 years old, as you said, on a good contract. And one day I think that he could be that guy. He doesn't have to be your number one or two scorer, but he can play really good defense and he can hit corner threes for you and be a really good piece of a championship roster so now I've kind of turned a corner originally I said three first round picks for a guy uh that hasn't really done a ton I mean yes he is a good individual player but the 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 Toronto Raptors are filled with good individual players and they still don't win so you know I I wasn't certain that I wanted OG Ananobi but I've turned the corner now I think he has the potential to reach um the the heights and have a really good playoff run and similar to a Chris Middleton or an Andrew Wiggins last year, as I said, but three first round picks is a ton. We just talked about the coexisting Bones Highland and Tyus Jones. Xavier, if they were to acquire OG and Zaire is in the trade and not Dylan Brooks, do you think Dylan Brooks and OG can coexist together on this team? Um, I'm going to be honest. I've watched blips. I've never just like truly paid attention with OG and Obi. Um, OG and Obi, I know he's a great 3 and D guy. Um, he's made some big shots, especially in was in that 2020 playoffs. He made that big shot against the Boston Celtics at <laughs> that no celebration. <laughs> but um, you got to think about it, though. Like OG Ananobi, I don't think he's such a big offensive guy. But at the same time, Dylan Brooks wanted to get his shots in. And one of those guys will have to come off the bench. And I, it will most likely be OG because he's the new guy. And Dylan has been in the system for so long. But at the same time, though, it is pretty crazy that if the Grizzlies were to, to do the trade, you will have two of the top five best perimeter defenders in the league. But offensively, you got to figure out who's going to get the rock a little bit more, who's going to put up those shots. But I only have one concerning thing about OG Ananobi if we was to make this swing trade. Yes, he's 25, but you look at his past two seasons, he has not played over 50 games. And I think it's a tribute because of Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse runs the hell out of his players. Like, they playing 40-plus minutes every single night, basically. And so he's sort of like a borderline Tom Thibodeau. And I look at those Toronto Raptors players that won that championship in 2019, they're still on that team. They're sort of banged up now. Uh, Fred Van Vliet. He's not playing a lot of minutes. I mean, I mean, a lot of games now because he's always out with some injury. Pascal Siakam, he's always – I mean, he's basically playing his best basketball this year. But 
he's out a lot due to the fact he's caught up with injuries. And OG Ananobi, like like I said, he's 25 years old. I'm not going to lie. I do sort of get a lot of resemblance of Luau Dang and OG Ananobi a lot. And that's a big uh, – I mean, that's Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse, he's a big defensive coach in their 3D guy. I mean, he like 3D guys. But if we're going to make this huge swing, I want him to at least play 75% of the games because I know it's the new NBA now. They're not going to play 100% of the games. I need him to play at least 75 75- Give me 75% of the games. You're 25 years old. And then as well, I want you doing the playoffs as well to make this, this deep playoff push. Yeah, injuries always me, concern. And go ahead, Dave. Yeah, let me let me ask you guys this because whenever these trades come up, Zaire Williams' name gets thrown in there, and there's a lot of pushback, like the, the front office would, would never move him. And and I'm kind of waiting for myself to feel that way too. I, I I don't find him very smooth with the ball. He's a good finisher sometimes around the rim. I, I, and I'm wondering, you know, how long are we going to wait here? How long till we say, well, he's been back now two months and he's still not playing very well. Uh, you know, he had 16 the other night. Three of them were on that full court shot. And, and it almost broke the internet. Like, oh, my God, Zaire Williams are crazy. I mean, he, he's had kind of a mediocre second season i know we had the injury piece but when is it okay to start being concerned about zaire i mean in reality i think a lot of people are just so hard on these younger guys nowadays and that's a credit to the the draft i mean the the talent in the nba not everybody's going to be luca dungeons not everybody's going to be jason tatum a lot of these guys a lot of people forget about sophomore slumps that's real you got teams have footage of those guys they don't, they're not the new kid in town anymore. They have footage. Scotty Barnes sort of had a sophomore slump. Evan Mobley sort of had a sophomore slump. And I think it's really a tribute to Zaire. He has to play catch-up, and uh, his teams have footage on him. They know that they want him to sh- – they know that he wants to shoot the mid-range. That's his comfortable shot. So they're forcing him to shoot those threes in which he's not He's not a rhythm – he's an in-rhythm shooter. He wants to make easy shots first, and then that's going to open up for those threes to fall. And I think a lot of people is just forgetting about this kid is only 20 years old. <laughs> Why are we so I understand, yes, like we have big aspirations to make the, the the NBA finals, but he's 20 years old and this team is still very young. So a lot of these guys are going to need time to grow. And it's up to the, the to the um, front office. All right, are we gonna give the time to allow Zaire to grow and see what he can blossom into, or we're we gonna just go ahead and move on from him so we can have an opportunity to fulfill in a championship, try to make a championship run this year. And I'll just add, he picked a really bad time to get beat for a backdoor cut <laughs> against the Warriors to lose that game. That was um poor timing on his part, but I have faith in Zaire, um, but at the same time, I wouldn't mind to see him go on a deal as well. If it, if it is a swing for an OG Ananobi or somebody else that can put them really into the top two or three title contending teams um, come playoff time. So I'm, I, I think that either way, I'm not going to throw a fit what happens with Zaire, stay or go. But if it's the key to getting – a guy like OG Ananobi or even that next level of superstar during the summer, I don't think that you need to hold on to a guy like that. Um, one name I want to add as well, who's been floated out there as a trade possibility is, is uh, Bogdanovich out in Detroit, a team that's kind of slipped. Obviously, Cade Cunningham 
Um, not playing has been a big factor in that as well. It seems to be that he can get traded, and, and they're not really asking for much more than a first-round pick. You talk about Bones Highland and the asking price not being that high. Um, I think Bogdanovich is a knockdown shooter. He's a guy who can play some defense for you, obviously not on the level of OG, uh, but that's a guy that I think can really help. And, Dave, I'll ask you, would you rather have Bogdanovich for one first-round pick, or would you have rather have a 25-year-old OG Ananobi uh, for three first-round picks? I would certainly rather have OG, although I, I like Bogdanovich, and I think he's going to help somebody, uh, whether it's the Heat or, or if he gets moved to the Lakers. I, I think he's going to help somebody. I like him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'd rather have OG because I think he'd be more of a foundational piece for this team. I, and, and I did think it's really interesting to talk about the three first-round picks. I wonder if that's the only package they would accept because, <laughs> guys, I thought it was very curious that Danny Green is uh, going to debut tonight. And I wondered, is this sort of like a one-week audition that the Grizzlies are trying to showcase him, or at least even audition for themselves, right? Not just for the league, whether uh, we want to keep Danny Green and see how he fits in. But I thought the timing was so interesting that he's coming back tonight here ahead of the trade deadline. Yeah, and I doubt he'll play the second night of the back-to-back tomorrow, uh, you know, against the Cavs. He'll probably play tonight against the Blazers, and then I would assume the Raptors and the Bulls game, he may be ready as kind of a full go. So that will be three games under his belt before the trade deadline. I think that that's a real possibility is that um, that could be the kind of leverage they need if he hits a couple threes from outside, plays a little bit of defense for three games, then maybe he can be a little bit of trade bait. Xavier, I'll wrap up here. You've kind of stood, Pat, that you want the Grizzlies to kind of play this season out. But let's say that it's another second-round exit in the playoffs, maybe even a Western Conference loss. Come summertime, if the Grizzlies want to trade for a superstar, philosophically, would you rather hold on to Jaron Jackson Jr. or Desmond Bain in a big star deal? Man, man, man. <laughs> that's, the, that's the question everybody wants to ask. Realistically, it, it it is hard to say. I'm a big def- defensive guy. Jaron Jackson, defensive. Uh, I mean, we we've seen basically how important his defense is. Those first 12 to 15 games this season without him, our defense was terrible. We was bottom of the ship. And I understand. Yes, we were staying afloat, but we was not going to be able to to play deep in the playoffs without Jaron Jackson. And I think the way that John Morant can influence another player to just play a lot better, I think that's that's, when you have somebody of John Morant's leadership, I think he can elevate other guys' play. So I really believe that Jaron Jackson is just such an important tool for the the Grizzlies to make a deep playoff run. And I'm going to have to take Jaron over Bang, although I love Desmond Bang. He has grown so much as a playmaker, as a defender, and being able to score on all three levels, I just take Jaron over. I have to take Jaron over Bang. Yeah, I don't think there's a right answer to this question. I think everybody wants to see those three stay together. I would probably lean more towards Desmond Bain just because of the scoring aspect. Dave, what about you quickly? Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson Jr., who would you rather stay a Grizzly if they make a swing for a big star over the summer? Yeah, it's really, really tricky. I, I would stay with Desmond Bain. I think it's a guards league. And I, I kind of view him and Ja as maybe our, our splash brother type guy, you know, our, our dynamic backcourt that could grow together. But it's a real, that's a real tough, tough, tough decision to make because Jaron has shown such flashes here lately. 
He sure has. Uh, both have been great, um, and hopefully they're going to all three stay together for a long time to come. That's going to do it for the Climate Corner segment. We'll catch you on the other side of this break. All right, History with Dave. We just hit all of the current goings-on of what the Grizzlies are looking at for this current deadline. Dave, why don't you walk us through some deadlines past for the Memphis Grizzlies? Yeah, and as we talked about here at the NBA, they got the uh, trading deadline coming up February 9th, right around the corner. And, and as we just talked, and, and as the league is talking, you know, should the Grizzlies make a trade? We're sitting at second in the West, and we are getting Danny Green back tonight. But it is kind of fun to look back at, at some of the trade deadline history. Uh, there's been some hits, been some misses. Uh, and, and the thing is, we have to keep in mind, you never really know what you're going to get. You're going to get the intended punch out of a trade that you think you are. And, and, and so for this season, you know, is it a case of they'd be careful what you wish for? I don't know, because the Grizzlies have never really taken a big swing at the deadline in our own favor. If you go and look at some of the moves we've made over the years, uh, they've mostly been around the margins, uh, sort of kind of being kind there. It, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting trip down memory lane going back. It like, for example, in 2019, Tyler Dorsey and a traded player exemption required by the Grizzlies for the, from the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for uh, Shelvin Mack and a TPE, in case you forgot that, that beauty. In 2008, Bryce Johnson and a TPE were acquired by the Grizzlies from the Detroit Pistons in exchange for James Ennis, a swap of 2022 second-round picks and a TPE. And it just keeps going down. Like I, Some of these are really a lot of fun. In 2013, the draft rights to Ricky Sanchez and a TPE were acquired by the Miami Heat from, uh, from the Grizzlies in exchange for Dexter Pittman, a 2013 second-round pick of Miami's and cash. The point there being, you know, our, our trade deadline history is littered with these transactions that really make you scratch your head, really, except for 2019 when we did uh, move Marcus Gasol to the Toronto Raptors. I have that, by the way, guys, on my top five all-time Grizzly trades, which I'll mention in a second. The reason I bring it up is because we just don't get a lot of free agents in Memphis. So it does seem like trades take on vital importance. And it really, it was the two trades, right, of Gasol and Mark Conley, uh, excuse me, Mike Conley, that helped facilitate in this new era of Memphis Grizzlies basketball. And they were aggressive. And I think we should be aggressive again. Uh, so anyway, the tread deadline is, is really fun to look at in our history. And I did want to look at the top five Grizzly trades of all time, as I have them listed here. I'm kind of interested in your guys' takes on that. I had number five, Mark Gasol. Uh, going to the Raptors for Jonas Valanciunas, and uh, I really like Jonas, but um, of course we moved him down to New Orleans. At number four, I did have that uh, Conley trade to the Jazz in June of 2019. I think those, those two trades, yeah, I think you could really say, ushered in this new era of Grizzlies basketball. Uh, number three, I had we traded Pau Gasol to the Lakers for Marc Gasol uh, at the uh, February 1st, uh, 2008 Time frame with the Lakers. And number two, I had when we acquired Zach Randolph. Now, a lot of people have that one, number one, that in July of 2009, uh, we traded Zach. Uh, we got Zach from the Clippers as we traded Quentin Richardson. I had number one, guys, again, interested in your take on this. I had when um, we traded uh, for Pau Gasol as we traded Sharif Abdul-Rahim to the Atlanta Hawks before the 2001-2002 NBA season because we were on the verge of coming to Memphis. It was really a big change in the franchise. And I thought Pau Gasol gave us a lot of credibility in the time he was here. Uh, a lot of people have Zach Randolph though, as a lot of people think he's the, you know, the best Grizzly of all time. So kind of fun to look back at the trade deadline history and some of our biggest trades 
since we've been in Memphis. So I wanted to ask you, Xavier, just as a fan, do you have any like fun trade uh, memories? Um, I do. It's uh, when they traded Mike Miller in 2007. I was a huge Mike Miller fan. I was so devastated when they traded Mike Miller. Mike Miller was a big trade. Um, Rudy Gay, when they traded Rudy Gay for Tayshaun Prince. And I mean, realistically, we did, we've had better success without Rudy Gay because they made a run in 2011 without Rudy Gay because he was injured. They came back, Rudy Gay played in 2012, then they didn't beat the Clippers. And so they really saw, okay, we're capable of making a deeper run without one of our stars. Why not get capital and assets for them? But they really didn't get nobody from them. And they got an old Tayshaun Prince and Ed Davis. Ed Davis never did flourish to any, to be anything. I don't see why would you even acquire Ed Davis when you had Zach Randolph. Um, that's a big one. And then 2015, I, I thought you was going to mention this one. In 2015, they traded for Jeff Green. Yeah. They really felt like that was going to be the big swing push to put them over top and be a top I didn't have the heart to mention that one, Xavier. I didn't have the heart to mention it. <laughs> that was oh. and, and, and on paper it looked great i was so excited because it was like okay memphis has lacked athleticism since rudy game since 2013 that was supposed to put us on top he's able to to score and attack the paint shoot threes jeff green terrible terrible did not work out for us and we got fleeced because if we look at those draft picks that we sent to to that we sent to the celtics Man, we could have had Robert Williams. We could have had that center uh, right now. It, it, it's, it's, re, it's ridiculous. Uh, that Jeff Green trade, it, that, that was a big one as, as well. And then another thing I never did understand, I think, was it was it 2012? I believe it was like it was O.J. Mayo's last year with the Grizzlies. We did not trade him. It was something. It was the trade deadline, and we did not end up trading him. Like they let the the time go out, go out or something. What was the point? Like, why would you not trade the man and get something out of him? That was so. I, I didn't understand that front office then. That front office then. That was. I'm glad those days are gone. Put it yeah. that. Yeah, that was a head scratcher. That was almost as, as confusing as when we tried to trade Dylan or Marshawn Brooks. We weren't sure which one was going to the Wizards. That, that, was, that was a whole crazy thing back in 2018. So, Matt, why do we all think we can be GMs? Because you go on Twitter, everyone's got a, a, a trade they want to throw out there, and they, uh, they all know what's best, right? Yeah, I think that that's um, just part of the fan experience. You want to, you know, be the, the Monday morning quarterback, um, and you want to make all the moves for your team because you – I think especially in the NBA – People watch so many other teams as well. It's not as focused on on your own favorite team. Um, some people are that way, obviously. But on the whole, most people who are Memphis Grizzly fans are also watching games of other teams as well. And you see guys you like. You see guys that could fit in with this roster, and you want to go acquire them. But, uh, yeah, all you got to do is, you know, go to Duke Law School like, like Zach Kleiman and then intern with an NBA team and then um, – and get eventually the GM job with the Memphis Grizzlies. It's just that easy. But uh, you know, going back to your list, I think one of the, I think the most interesting trade to me is the the Gasol for Gasol trade. Uh, just obviously because they're brothers. Um, it's very interesting. I don't I don't know why I have a fascination with that. It's very similar to to seeing the Kelseys play each other in the Super Bowl coming up. 
Uh, but then Powell also shared a story where when he was in Memphis um, and Mark was about to come over, Powell kept telling the front office about Mark, saying that they needed to go acquire him. They wanted um, that, that they should draft Mark, that, that he wanted to play with Mark, all this stuff. He ends up in L.A., Mark, or excuse me, Powell keeps saying, let's get Mark, let's trade for Mark, let's get Mark, let's bring him to Memphis. Finally, the front office comes to him and says, hey, we got Mark, but we traded him for you. <laughs> so you get the swap of the Gasol brothers. Mark ends up here. He ends up being a defensive player of the year. He ends up being a linchpin of the grit and grind era um, and really an underrated passing big man of all time, which is also another thing that I'm just randomly obsessed with. It's a reason I love Joker so much. I love Mark. Um, so I don't know that it's the most important trade in Grizzlies history. I would probably be in the camp that the Randolph one is there, but Marcus Gasol is right behind that, um, in my opinion. But yeah, it's very interesting, uh, looking back at some of those old trades and man, Jeff Green, Ed Davis, and, and who was the other one that you call and OJ Mayo all just caught straight bullets from Xavier on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And by the way, in, in the, the Mark and Paul trade, how about the fact that we got Kwame Brown in that deal, former overall number one pick, just kind of like thrown in there and sent over to Memphis. There was one, one other one I thought was really interesting from the uh, deadline deals was in 2010, uh, we acquired Ronnie Brewer from the Jazz. And what I found interesting about that, guys, was we did throw a conditional 2011 first round pick over to Utah because we've been talking here about these trades. Like, would you give Detroit a first round pick for Bogdanovich with, you know, three picks for OG? I mean, we have a lot of draft capital. And, and I thought it was actually back in 2010, we thought that Ronnie Brewer was worth a first round draft pick, fine NBA player. But I did want to say one other, one other trade that I always enjoyed um, was in 2011. We brought back Shane Battier. He's always been my favorite Grizzly. And I really liked uh, him in his first run here. And then when he came back in 2011, I thought he gave us some good minutes and, and it was a lot of fun to have him back back in Memphis. Um, and, of course, he, he went on to win two rings then with the Miami Heat. But it, it's going to be very interesting, guys. Uh, one last question for you before we uh, end this segment here. I mentioned I think the trades have been vital to the success of the Grizzlies because we don't get free agents in Memphis. Starting with you, Xavier, I mean, is it possible that John Morant's star power is enough to change that, that guys will want to come here and play with him? Oh, most definitely. He's just you, – you You ask players around the league who they enjoy watching this, they say John Morant. And, and he has that riz that everybody wants to be around. He wants – he brings that that joy and that excitement. So I don't – I think that we can get quality role players and maybe even some stars to Memphis because I, obviously we are very ahead of the schedule. Everybody thought that – we will be good probably two, three years, two, three years from now. Well, the time has shifted right now. And so you got so many of these older stars that I grew up with. They're getting older. They can see Memphis as a as a great spot for them to, to, to relax back. <laughs> I mean, maybe they'll turn back the clock every once in a while and they can play off the bench or whether they can start or not. Like, we can we, we can make those acquisitions because of Ja Morant being here in Memphis. I feel like his star power alone can attract other other people here to Memphis, other players here in Memphis. And, and, Matt, we're not too scarred by Chandler Parsons? No, I don't think so. Chandler Parsons is having a bit of a run on, on the old internets, yeah. by the way. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. been, uh, he's been He's been getting in the mud a little bit. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I think Jaw's the kind of guy that can that obviously has already transformed 
the entire team, the city, and their hopes and aspirations for a championship. And I think that down the road, maybe even as soon as this summer, we could see the benefits of people wanting to play with him. Um, so we'll leave that there for now. That's a great little history lesson there on some past Grizzlies trades. We'll see what they're going to do here in the next uh, upcoming weeks. But um, we're going to talk a little refereeing uh, right after this. Embrace debate. We saw the no call against the Lakers and LeBron. I said last week the Grizzlies have a whole slew of guys that are tough to referee. Xavier, you've been crushing them all year. And then the NFL playoffs happen and referees of all kind are getting dismantled on Twitter. Xavier, how bad have the referees been in the NBA this season? As Charles Barkley say, terrible. It's been flat out terrible. It, it, it has. It's just it's awful. It, they're, they're allowing their emotions to get into the game. It's questionable no calls. It's ridiculous texts. I'm like, bro, come on now. Adam Silver has to come up, especially this offseason, and talk to the referees. Like, look, we're taking away the enjoyment of the game at times, really, because it's 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 gotten to the point now that it seems like it's not about the NBA players' feelings. It's the referee feelings now. You have to take control of the game in a correct manner. And you putting your feelings inside of the game don't nobody care about the referee. I'm going to be honest. We don't care about the referee. And I, I, I'll say this. I did a little a refereeing to make some quick money back in, in college in intramurals, right? And a lot of these guys that play intramurals during college were former high school athletes. And so they're competitive. And sometimes we referees, they're human beings. They're not going to be perfect. I wasn't perfect. And sometimes, yeah, they, I make some questionable non-calls. Or I miss a call or something, but hey, I'm gonna be respectful and 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 I understand that these guys are competitors. They're gonna slip some words or whatnot. They're gonna say some stuff. I'm gonna be like, hey man, chill out. I'm gonna be like, hey man, chill out. Okay, I understand. You, I get the call next time. I'll be sure to look out for that. That's all you gotta do and make those calls. A lot of these times, that as soon as they NBA players come up to them. They're ready to take them up. They can't show no emotion. They can't show no frustration. That's what human beings are. Like, we have emotions for reasons, and, and we have to release them. And the, the referees, I don't know what's going on this year. Dave, you been frustrated with the refereeing as late? Yeah, I got to be honest, not really. And, and I say that uh, I think they have a tough job, and, and I'm okay with human mistakes. You know, Xavier, like you, I, I, I officiated before I did a lot of umpiring, a lot of refereeing, and – I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just okay with human mistakes. I, I think the time to review these coaches' challenges takes too long. It, it, it slows down the end of these games. And, and did you hear, like, in the in the LeBron case, they were talking about maybe the, the league office should have someone watching the games and, and, and buzz in and say, hey, review that last call. By the way, the LeBron thing is so interesting. Some people say, well, it shows that he really cares. That's why he was all fired up at the end. I thought it was a little goofy for, like, the best player on the planet – it's a, like be rolling around on the floor because of a foul called in. And I kind of felt like he, his overreaction, like the Lakers did nothing right then in the overtime. If he had just been like, yeah, we'll get you back. Okay. You know, then let's, let's go. But it was almost, it was just too much for me. I just think one play does not decide a game the, the Bengals didn't lose to the chiefs. Cause that guy pushed Mahomes out of bounds at the end there. He talked about the NFL. 
And but I, I want to ask you, Xavier. Did you, did you do? By the way, Matt, did you ever do any refereeing? Never. I would never because it, all it is, like you guys just said, all it is is making mistakes and having people yell at you for it, and that's not that's not anything that I'm interested in. Well, I, 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 could, think- I, I commend both of you for doing it, but I I couldn't. I thought it was a great way to make some money. And I will say that it was much easier than being an umpire in baseball where you could stand at second base for two hours and not do anything. And then you have to make a bang, bang call. I like the rhythm of basketball. You're always kind of running up and down making calls. But Xavier, my question for you, I know that I don't want like the league office watching every call I make. And even some of these coaches' challenges are sort of annoying. I mean, isn't it the human error? Like, wouldn't you feel like someone's always watching over your back? Yeah, yeah, of course. At the end of the day, we're human beings. We're not yeah. going to get every call right. Our eyes isn't 100% every single time. And the way that we see perception of things is, is not, I mean, it's not correct every single time. And like you said, Dave, a lot of people want to blame, okay, if they, if the referee would have made this call, we would have won this game. What about the 20 turnovers you had? What about the, the 15 missed free throws you had? Those are opportunities that you could have scored right there, but yet you want to blame this one simple call right here at the end of the game, saying that y'all won. So I don't see, like, a lot, I see a lot of Grizzlies fans, they get all mad and whatnot saying, okay, well, that should have been a legal screen on Draymond Green, which was correct. It wasn't a legal screen. But at the same time, we're a terrible free throw shooting team. So we could have won the game by simply making free throws. I, 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 you, you can't satisfy fans at the end of the day. I mean, I understand, yes, we're, we're fans. We want to see our teams win. We want them to get every single call. But at the same time, you got to realize they had your team had opportunities. They just uh, didn't execute. Now, I will I will agree with you. On, there's too many technical fouls. Although Patrick Beverly with the camera probably deserved a technical foul. And I, I thought it was that was really interesting. That that was only the second time ever I saw an overtime start with one team in the lead. And I, I mentioned to you guys it was in Philly last year when I saw the Grizzlies in Philadelphia. One of the teams had a one-point lead going to overtime, similar because of a technical foul. Beverly probably deserved it. The other, the other technical fouls is probably too many. The Beverly thing was hilarious, though. Just an all-time great move, honestly. That that moved him up like my most hated player list rankings. Like that was just a hilarious thing, just to point at the camera and be like, "That's a foul." Um, just a great move. I will say, I want to add. I think that a lot has been made about the refereeing in the last little bit, specifically because the two biggest moments happened to two of the most popular players in the NBA. You think about the the Lakers no call. It's LeBron going to the rim, getting hacked and not getting a call that he normally gets. Um, And he's on a team that is one of the most popular in the entire country in the Los Angeles Lakers. Go back to our game against Golden State. Steph Curry gets ejected for throwing his mouthpiece. He didn't curse at anybody. He didn't throw it necessarily at anybody it could have hit a fan a cameraman whatever we didn't really see necessarily that part of it I think it's really interesting that the that those two guys are two of the most popular in the entire NBA and they're not really getting the leeway or getting those calls that we so often see these superstars get I think that that's one part of it that has brought it to the forefront of the conversation is that we're seeing it on such a big level and then for us in particular the Grizzly side of things as I said on last week's episode, I think we have a ton of guys who are really hard to referee. Um, you know, you look at that John Morant play where he stopped on a dime right at the basket. I think it was in that Pacers game, and he kicks it out to the corner to tie us. Everybody saw the clip online. I would say probably six out of ten times a referee calls that a travel, and it's not at all. We, we saw the breakdown of it. But we just have a team full of guys who are really hard to referee. Jaws a freak athlete. 
it's hard to say when he goes up and tries to dunk on somebody, maybe you could call it a charge. Maybe you could call it a block on every single one of them either way. And some of them we have seen get discounted because they get called for a, uh, for a charge. Jaron contests everything at the rim. Uh, Dylan Brooks plays incredibly physical. So for the Grizzlies in particular, I think that they are a really hard team to referee. And maybe that's why we've seen so much of it on our timelines is because we are interacting with Grizzlies fans and we see it. Um, from that side. But yeah, go back to the LeBron and Steph thing. It, it's very interesting that two of the most popular players are not getting the benefit of the refs. Um, and that that kind of brought it into the forefront. But I will also add, you guys talk about the human element of it. I think in basketball, very similar to the NFL, like you can call pass interference in the NFL on almost every single passing play. It's just whether they catch it, whether uh, whether a referee sees it, not not whether the receiver catches it, but whether the referee catches it um, in the act, it's very similar in the NBA on almost every drive to the basket. I think you could call a foul if you want to. And it's really hard. And I like in those moments at the end of games where they let the players dictate the end of the game. I don't want to see that Lakers and Boston game end on a free throw to win the game. I want to see LeBron going to the basket and I want to see Jason Tatum contesting his shot and the game be decided that way between the two players. I was going to say this right quick. Maybe we should have those conspiracy uh, haters debunk uh, the referees since they got time to debunk Jaron Jackson defensive stats. I know if you got time to debunk a man defensive stats late at night, I'm pretty sure they can take accountability and debunk who's a better referee than others. Yeah, what a wild thing that 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 happened. The Reddit conspiracy theory uh, turns into this whole investigation of Jaron Jackson Jr.'s um, block numbers. In- insane. It's It's been a wild week for the Grizzlies, for sure. But, yeah, um, hopefully the referees kind of get things turned around. We'll see how things goes. Um, and, you know, I always think, as, as I just said, I like the players to dictate it, and that's kind of why I lean towards the playoff basketball being so much better. So I'm looking forward to that and just letting uh, things get a little more physical and letting the, the players decide the outcomes of these games. But uh, for right now, Leave that as it is, and we're going to go rank our top four title contenders. All right, top four title contenders ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. Uh, guys, I have the aggregate list, all of the teams that we have voted for. We have voted for 10 different teams since we started doing our top four NBA contenders. Um, so we have an aggregate top 10 now with all the points. Uh, I did kind of prorate it to where I gave additional points for last week's list. Um, so that what have you done for me lately lately aspect is kind of tied in there. But for right now, in reverse order, the top 10 teams that we have all voted for this season, there's some interesting ones. Starting at number 10 is the Clippers, 9, Golden State, then Atlanta, Phoenix, New Orleans, Cleveland, and our top four based on the entire season, uh, Denver, Memphis, Milwaukee, and Boston. So a very interesting list there. Uh, obviously, there's some things that are probably wrong with the list. Milwaukee has been not – they didn't have the greatest January, so probably would have them lower on the list if we did it today. I don't – I'll be um, interested to see if you guys have them on your list. Um, but, yeah, so Boston, it's a good indication that they have been one of the best teams all season long and a top title contender in Memphis in that three spot. So let's do this week's um, top four. I'm going to start with Boston still as my number one team. Then I have Denver at two and Memphis at three. And then my four spot, I had a really um, tough call to make here. And as I said, Milwaukee, not the greatest January. 
Uh, they've dealt with a ton of injuries, so I don't have them in that list. But Philly's been awesome. They've come on really strong. But we're talking about top four NBA title contenders right now. And I don't have the faith. I can't put James Harden in my top four yet. I can't trust in that man. They've been awesome. Joel Embiid has taken the MVP race um, by storm. He has put himself firmly in that conversation. But I got to say, guys, I got to put Golden State in my four spot. And here's why. They're only a couple games back from the three seed. I, I believe it's two and a half games, something like that. They've, they're already in the number five spot now. They've made a great run since Steph Curry's come back. We just saw they're an incredibly tough uh, team to beat when they are hitting shots, uh, as we saw in that Memphis game. And if Golden State, it's very possible that coming out of all-star break, Golden State is in that three spot. And if they are, then Memphis absolutely has to get the number one seed to avoid Golden State in the second round. It becomes paramount. And, man, they're just so dangerous. And when I think about um, trying to break the tie between Philly and Golden State. I've just seen Golden State do it too many times before, and we've seen them do it recently. So they get the nod for me there. So my list, Boston, Denver, Memphis, and Golden State is my top four. Xavier, what you got? Okay. All right. This is interesting. All right. Number one, of course, I got Boston. I agree with that. Boston has just been magnificent all this season. Okay, number two, Denver. Denver as well. Jokic playing as a, uh, as that third-time MVP. I feel like that he's going to be that third-time MVP. He's now officially averaging a triple-double after the stats from last night. He's averaging a triple-double, a center. I never imagined that. He's breaking some wilt records. When you start breaking wilt records, you really on top of it, dog. Number three, I got us Memphis. Uh, even though after that Rocky five game stretch, I still feel like we're strong enough to be a great playoff team that can make a deep, deep run. And Matt, I'm going to be honest. I'm going for my number four slot is the 76ers. Joel and B show Jokic the other day. Who is the best center in the league? Who tried, he tried to show who's the best center in the league. You, you guys remember that scene on the first Black Panther with Killmonger? comes in and beat T'Challa. He was like, is this your king? That was your, that was Embiid. He was like, is this your best big man right here? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I do have the Warriors right on their tail right now, but I'm just going to give the Riz right now to 76ers because they've just been playing some damn good basketball. Now, I would say this about the Warriors. I don't want them in that number three slot because I look at this stat, the stats right now, the standings. It will be the Clippers versus Golden State in the first opening round. That's really like a second-round series right there. I'm going to let them battle it out. I don't want to see them battle it out. Hell, I don't want the Grizzlies nowhere near that because you got two really – I'm not going to say they're old teams, but you got two competitive teams right there, man. Somebody got to come out with some scars, and then they'd be beat up in the second round. Some some team, whoever the, uh, the first seed can really – take advantage of that because I'm pretty sure that's going to be a seven game series. If the Clippers and Golden State make it, if yeah, if the Clippers and Golden State play in the first round, that's, that's really going to be like a seven game series. I'm like you, Matt. I don't want them to be in that third seat. So I'm rooting. I've been a Sacramento fan. Trust me. I will be a big time Sacramento fan going forward for the rest of the season. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's my top four. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I had, yeah, I had Philly and Golden State basically tied. And just because we're thinking about who can win the title, I give the nod to Golden State over James Harden. 
um, team always, and Doc Rivers as well. Like, they're kind of playoff curse. So um, that's why I gave him the nod. But I don't disagree with you. Philly's been awesome, especially Embiid. Um, so I think that's a fine list. So we have the same top three, difference in the four spots. So, Dave, really it's going to be up to you to break this tie if you have Philly or Golden State um, on your list. That will really break the tie. So what you got? So we're all in agreement. Celtics number one. Consistent throughout the year. They look really good. And, and as I was putting together this list, the thing I kept coming back to is uh, what you said, Matt, a few weeks ago, that the race for the number one overall seed is really important, not just in the conferences. And I, and I, I was thinking about that because it's, it's not just for like a game seven situation. Some of these East Coast cities are extremely intense. We saw that Lakers Celtics game the other night on ABC. Like the crowds in Boston are great. The crowds in Philly are great crowds. Uh, it's a shame the Knicks aren't better. That Madison Square Garden crowd is, is just wonderful. And I, I think home court matters again. You know, we went through a couple years. I don't know. Cleveland was in the finals, whatever. Toronto, Milwaukee. These are not like traditional powers. They don't have great, intense East Coast crowds. But I think we're going to see it this year. I think we're going to see it in Boston. And I think we're going to see it in my number two team in Philly. I think that is a really, really tough place to play. And, and I think they elevate the Sixers. And Bede was unbelievable against the Nuggets. If he stays healthy, I think they're going to go to the Eastern Finals against the Celtics. I have them number two. Uh, I think he's just on a different level right now. And, and it's not – I don't think James Harden is, you know, is important to their overall success. I think they have some good supporting players around Embiid. I have three. I have Denver. You got me believing in Denver. I really like that roster. I thought last night the Pelicans pushed them. And then Joker just turned turned it on and took over the game, and, and they won going away. I really like Denver. And then I have in the fourth spot, Milwaukee. They won five in a row. And I still think with Giannis that they deserve that fourth spot. But, man, Golden State's right there, right there, throwing the records out the window. They're playing good basketball. And uh, I, I think by the end of the season, boy, you guys hit it. We, we don't really want to see Golden State at number three. I'd like to see Golden State play the Nuggets in the second round and let those teams beat up on each other. But I had Boston, Philly, Denver, and Milwaukee. And again, with the emphasis that the home court, I think, is going to be really important, not just for game seven, but like if you go into Philly for game one and two, you got to play in a really tough place. You fall behind 0-2 real quick, and then, and then the series might be over. So uh, I like to think, because of Memphis's great home record, that uh, it's really important for us as sitting at 21-3 and three right now. And, and we might also benefit from that when the playoffs come around. So we need that as, as, as many rounds as we can get. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. So that gives us our, right, so you had no Memphis on your list at all, Dave, huh? I did, I did not. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, the overall list for this week then is going to be Boston, Denver, Memphis, and then Philly uh, gets the tiebreaker from me and Xavier because of the number, the uh, number two ranking for Dave, that's high up there, but you make a great point that the home court advantage definitely matters. Um, and Milwaukee and Golden State tied um, at that five, six spot. And let me say um, one last so, thing. Now. Let me be clear. You know, the Grizzlies lost five in a row. They finally beat the Pacers. Moran had to play 42 minutes to beat the Indiana Pacers at home. We were down by 19 at one point. It's not a great sign. You know, I'm a little nervous about his workload. Uh, it's It's been increasing. And I thought having to play him 42 minutes against the Pacers in January, it's a little concerning to me. I just want to close on that. Yeah, definitely concerning for a guy who's had some injury history, but they absolutely needed that win at that point, uh, being back at home after the five-game losing streak. Uh, but, yeah, interesting list. Boston, Denver, Memphis, and Philly. I mean, that that um, 
that was exactly Xavier's list. So Xavier nailed it this week. Um, and we will continue to keep up with that aggregate list as well. And we'll see how that changes throughout the season. But that's going to do it for today's episode. I appreciate you guys tuning in and joining us. Dave, plug your Twitter for us. You can find me at DLB193388. And one final note here. It's interesting. We got tonight against Portland, tomorrow against Cleveland. One of the biggest problems the NBA has, guys, is Star sitting on the road. So is Ja going to play tonight at home and sit tomorrow at Cleveland? If he does, I feel sort of bad for the, the Cavs fans that don't get to see him. Yeah, especially after they already missed out on the entire Golden State Warriors team. Uh, Xavier, plug your socials for us. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Zaytime Tate. And then as well, you can find me on TikTok for a little bit uh, additional basketball analysis at underscore XZAY. And always check out those clips that Xavier makes for us on our Twitter page at the Core 4 Podcast. Check me out on my personal at Matt H. Gill and follow at SBN Grizzlies for all that great written content as well for every single game. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Uh-huh.